Well, do you believe that God has called his church to live in community? What do you think? Well, his word is fairly clear. There are several things that we've looked at over the last several weeks that Jesus commands of us, his church, his bride. And these commands cannot be fulfilled in isolation. They simply cannot be done. We must be committed to community in order to fulfill what Christ has called his church to be and do. Number one, you'll remember Jeff spoke about accepting one another. How important it is to accept one another. We're all different. We all have flaws. We all have different preferences of which cookie we want. And so I need to accept those of you who don't like or prefer the things that I like. And you are called to accept the things, the preferences, the, the things that are not essential, important to God's heart. Things that we differ on. We have to learn to accept one another, embrace one another and all the differences. Did God create a homogenous church or did he create a church full of different flavors? Lots of different flavors. Just look around. You'll see a lot of different flavors on display. And that was intentional, but he's called us to live in community, accepting one another. The second thing that he called us to was, Brittany, serve one another. There we go. She was saying, does Matt know? I'm going to leave it blank up there. Serve one another. And we're called to be selfless towards one another in service. Thirdly, we're called to teach and admonish one another. That can be challenging at times, can it not? It can, right? That means getting in other people's business. Now, that, that calls for relationship building. That calls for trust, right? It also calls for a humility in the way that we approach one another. It calls for a sense of, like, care and concern for the other person ahead of ourself. And so we are called to teach and admonish what? God's word towards one another, right? We're not supposed to teach and admonish our own ideas. We're not supposed to teach and admonish anything that we think is important. We're to teach and admonish from God's word to one another what is true and what is important to God's heart in how we believe and how we live out our calling in Christ. And, and last week we looked at encouraging one another. Who can receive, who needs encouragement on a daily basis? Raise your hand. If you don't have your hand up, that's such a lie. All right, because I know just from my own life that it's easy in this world to get discouraged, is it not? People discourage us. Circumstances discourage us. Weeds in our front yard discourage us. They're, it's just all around us. Discouragement is the result of sin. Think about it. All the stuff that goes on that just hurts our hearts. Right? We need encouragement. And that's why God gave us the church family. Gave us his word. So that we might be encouraged in and through it. And certainly we are called to love one another. That's what we're looking at this morning. You know, there's nothing greater as a dad that I enjoy coming home to than seeing my children loving one another. It rarely occurs. No, I'm just kidding. It, it happens hopefully more often than not. But I love walking through the door maybe after work and seeing my children interacting in a way that is loving towards one another. Parents, raise your hand if you enjoy that too. It's a lot better 
than the alternative, right? The alternative is what? In conflict, fighting with one another. How many parents have witnessed that? How many parents that warms your heart? See, none of us, right? We want to see our children loving one another. That, that's what warms a parent's heart. And it's no different with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father wants to see his children loving one another. Because there's some benefits. We're going to look at three benefits this morning. This evening, I screwed up again. This evening, we're going to look at three benefits to loving one another that God intended for us to receive because of his command to love one another. Number one, we read John 13, 34 already. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so I am calling you to love one another. Why? Verse 35 tells us the why. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the first benefit that happens when we love one another is that love will bear witness of Christ and the reality that Christ makes a difference, not only in our lives, but in the world. God wants his fame to be on display, and he's purposed the church, and specifically the church as we love one another, to reveal that to a lost world. Does the world need to see Jesus? Does the world need to see a clear picture of Jesus? It's us that have the responsibility as we love the way he has first loved us, that that is a result. That is a benefit that God has, has intended as we love one another. First John chapter 4, verse 12 says this, No one has ever seen God. Hmm, it's interesting, right? I haven't. Has any, have you guys? Any, anybody? Maybe a vision. Maybe, you know, we saw God in the flesh, those that lived 2,000 years ago, right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did he mean by that? He meant that he and the Father are one, right? He meant that he is God in the flesh. But here we see nobody's seen the Father. Nobody's seen God in all of his fullness, but if we love one another, John says, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes these words, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul's in chains at the time he writes this book, for witnessing about Jesus Christ. They've arrested him. They've put him in prison. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you, the church, to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Is it a high calling to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? It is a high calling. It is a privilege. It is an honor. We are sons and daughters of a king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, the creator of the universe. We are his children. That's a privilege and an honor. Paul encourages us to walk worthy of the calling we've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Why, Paul? Why do you want us to love and live this way? Because it brings unity. It brings unity. 
And when we have unity, something is on display. Listen to, listen to the prayer of Jesus as he prayed in the garden on the night in which he was betrayed. He prayed these words, John 17, verse 20. I pray not only for these, he's speaking of his disciples that are present, but also for those who believe in me through their message. Through their message, we have come to believe. Through the message of the disciples and the apostles, we have come to believe in Jesus. And Jesus prayed for us in advance. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they, be, may they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. There's your purpose. Why should we have unity? Why should there be a loving community that's displaying that love to one another? So that the world might see that you sent me, Jesus speaking. Their love is going to testify. Their unity is going to testify to the validity, to the authenticity of who I am, the Son of God. Verse 22, I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I in, am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You realize the world needs to realize who Jesus is? When we love one another, the world gets to see Jesus gets to see the peace that Jesus brings to our life, the hope that Jesus brings to our life. When we love one another, that's on display. The second benefit that we receive when we love one another is this. Love binds us in community. God intended us to have community so that we wouldn't journey this life alone. That we would we would find strength in numbers. I visited an animal park, and one thing I noticed about animals is they seem to, most of them, seem to, especially the vulnerable ones. You ever realize that? The vulnerable ones, they, 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 they go around in what? Herds or packs, right? They, they just kind of stay together. Why? Because at least in their thinking, there's strength in numbers, or at least I'm faster than the guy next to me, right, when the lion comes. But there's a sense of God brought us together for the same reason, so that we could have community and strength in numbers and find encouragement and find strength in one another. First Peter, Peter writing these words. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or with gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, he was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Later on in 1 Peter, he writes these words in chapter 4, verse 7. 
Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's three words here that are in these verses. One is to have a sincere love, to have an earnest love, and to have an intense love. Do you realize that, Paul, that, that Peter understood that it wasn't enough to say, I love you? Love is proved out by, by, the, by your actions. It's not just words. It's what you do that proves what you say. Peter knew that. Peter actually said, you know, Lord, that I love you. Do you remember that in John chapter 21? But Jesus kept prodding. Why? Jesus saw through words. Jesus wanted to make sure Peter understood he wanted his heart. He wanted the sincerity, the earnestly. The word earnest or intense here, it's the same Greek word, and it, says, it, it means this. It means continuous, never-ending, without ceasing, deep, intense, and eager love. That's the kind of love that God's expecting from his children to be displayed not only towards him, but to one another. Proverbs chapter 10, Solomon writes these words speaking about love covering a multitude of sins. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Can we be guilty of not loving one another in community? What happens when we don't show love in community? Does it bring unity or does it bring division? What happens when love is not present in a marriage? Does it bring unity or does it bring division? What happens when love is not present among family? Does it bring unity or does it bring division? God recognizes that love is the glue to community. And so he commands us. He insists that we learn to practice love like he has loved us. It binds our community. The church needs to reflect Jesus more. His forgiveness, his compassion, his empathy, his selfless humility. Because when we love one another, the joy and peace of Jesus is seen and experienced in community. Our final benefit of love. Love brings us to completeness. Love brings us to completeness. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Love must be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is phoniness, fakeness. It's not genuineness. It's like playing games with it, but not really being real with love. How many have ever gone through the motions in a relationship? in coming to church, in greeting time, right? We can be guilty of just kind of, we know what we're supposed to do to be acceptable in the community. But we're not being genuine. God wants genuineness. He doesn't want hypocrisy. Listen to this. It says this, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. In other words, love cannot delight in evil. Love does not accept wrongdoing and call it love. 
Love does not have permission to do that. Love must be without hypocrisy. What is evil is going to be evil, and what is good is going to be good. And that's defined by God and God alone. His character, his nature. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm part of a fantasy football league for leaders here at Crossroads Church. And I'm doing pretty well against our head pastor this week. Yep, he he could catch me tomorrow night. He's got some players left. But I'm doing pretty well. We try and outdo one another in drafting players and getting a higher score and celebrating on Monday or Tuesday in the office that, yeah, look at us. God says, okay, you can have fun doing that, but where should you be outdoing one another? Where should you be having a competition? In the area of sacrificial, selfless love. Wow. Let's have a fantasy love league. How about that? Getting points for who's showing the most selfless love. I think if you think about it, you can think about people in your life that have shown you love, Christ-like love, and man, you would give them an award, wouldn't you? Because when, you re- when you're the recipient of love, Christ's love, through another person, it elevates that person in your thinking and in your mind and in your heart. That's what God wants us to, to be excited about, outdoing one another and showing honor and love. Romans 13, 8, do not owe anyone anything. Uh-oh. <laughs> How many are guilty right now of uh, owing something to someone? Yeah, we're all in debt, right? But Paul says, try and avoid being in debt, except you're allowed to have one debt, the debt to love one another. Always be in debt to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Did you hear that? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment, are all summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Listen to me very carefully. Does love abolish the law? No. Love does not abolish the law. Love fulfills it. The law is, no law, is not bad. The law is not wrong. But when we love, we fulfill the law. When we, when we follow Jesus, Jesus is, said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus lived it out perfectly. How did he live it out perfectly? He was love. He was perfect love. Well, hold on. He told his disciples to eat grain on the Sabbath. Wasn't that breaking the law? No. Jesus knew that Man was not made for the Sabbath, or Sabbath was not made for man, or whatever one I'm trying to think here. I'll get it right eventually. The idea, though, that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly, it's because he loved perfectly. His intentions were perfect. Now, none of us can be Jesus. Amen? Does anybody in this room have perfect love? Husbands, anybody want to raise your hand? Perfect love, because I'm sure wives would be like, "Mm." how about wives? How about children? How about anyone? Old people. You've lived a long time. Maybe you've perfected love. 
No, none of us do, right? Only Jesus is perfect in his love. But we can be made complete as we begin to love others more like what Jesus loved us. The church needs to grow in its maturity, does it not? When we love one another, the church experiences the fullness of the blessing of God. God is just waiting to bless a church that will love like he has first loved us. Let's pray. I want to invite the worship team to come. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your love. None of us deserve it. None of us could earn it. God, your love is perfect. Your love is needed. Your love is all sufficient. God, I just pray as we think about loving others, God, it means that we love the way you loved us. That means that if, if we have things where we've offended, we go and say we're sorry. It means that if, if someone else has offended us, we would be quick to forgive. It also means, God, that if we, if we are operating with our own self-interest in mind and not the interests of someone else, someone you've called us into relationship with, that we turn that around and we start thinking of their interests first over our own. God, your love is so deep, but it's so needed in our lives. It's so needed in our practice from day to day. So God, we, we ask that you convict and work in us to love others the way that you first loved us. We want to be a church that loves one another. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.